Hello and welcome to Consumer Choice Radio, broadcasting across North America on the radio, but also in your podcast apps. You can find our website over there at consumerchoiceradio.com. One half of your host here, Yael Ososki, plugging in, tuning in from the home studio in Vienna, Austria. And I'm joined by my colleague, David Clement, who's out there in Toronto. David, how goes it? Oh, it's going. It's going. Still not much to do. Um... In this lockdown, um, really missing the gym, but uh, you know, just keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on, indeed. There's uh, plenty of news for us to get into. Uh, if you guys are listening to this on your podcast apps, consider a podcasting 2.0 compliant version, something like Fountain or Breeze. You can find that over on newpodcastapps.com, and you'll also be able to send over your precious Satoshis parts of your Bitcoin. If you like what you're hearing, if you find some value in it, uh, please send that over. David, have you uh, you downloaded uh, any of these new podcast apps, by the way? I have not yet. I have not. Um, we're, we're, we'll get you there. I think you yeah, should. It's yeah. uh, it's an enjoyable experience because it's, you know, most people listen to their podcast through what? Through Apple Podcasts or something like that or Spotify? I think you're yeah, a Spotify I'm, guy. Yeah, I'm a Spotify guy. So what the difference is on these apps is you can subscribe to any you know podcast like normal. Yep. Uh, but what they allow you to do is that you'll see chapters. So whenever we have different segments, you know we're go, flipping back and forth between certain topics. You'll actually see the chapter that will come up with a, its own image oh. or link. And then also these apps have a Bitcoin wallet that is integrated with the service, and you can load that. With small amounts of Bitcoin, again, we're talking, you know, anywhere from a dollar to 10 bucks. And then while the show is streaming and you're listening to the podcast, uh, you can actually send a boost. They call it a boostagram. You can actually send a small message uh, saying something, and you can send those small amounts of Satoshis. Again, it can only be, you know, 10 cents or 100 bucks, doesn't matter, but you're able to send that, and that goes through the Lightning Network. Uh, the layer two solution of Bitcoin, and that goes right to the uh, the Consumer Choice Radio. Very wallet. cool. So it's fun. very cool. Yeah, fun stuff. We're on the cutting edge of technology. <laughs> sure are. And uh, we get to talk about great stuff every week, David. I know you wanted to discuss some of the latest things that are happening up north, and uh, you know, there's a lot of, of different reasons to be concerned. Uh, I'll let you kind of open this off, and then and then we can talk more about what this means for. Consumers yeah. for, for their economic freedom, for their health systems, and everything in the yeah, future. Yeah, there's something strange going on in Quebec. Um, as, it's a strange world. Yeah, uh, they've put forward a proposal essentially for a tax or a fee for those who are not vaccinate, uh, vaccinated. And the justification is that... Um, that they end up costing more in regards to the healthcare system. Um, and it's opened up a real can of worms in terms of conversations about healthcare, conversations about the efficacy of these nudges, um, whether or not this threatens the universality of healthcare. It's, uh, there's a lot to debate, um, I guess I'll start with some of the some of the glaring issues. Um, so I think the the biggest thing is that it doesn't it it has no there's it has nothing to do with whether or not you 
inflict additional costs on the healthcare system, right? It's under the perception that you will. But if you're out living in a cabin, you really have no exposure to anybody, you live a pretty secluded life, you're, you're not going to get COVID and you're not going to end up in the hospital, well, then you're paying this additional tax even though you don't actually cost taxpayers more money. Same thing goes for someone who's, let's say, unvaccinated but already had COVID. How do they qualify under under this? So let's say you, you had COVID and you have not gotten your vaccine doses yet. Even in that circumstance, I would suggest that you do so, but I could understand why somebody wouldn't. Um, let's say that person just had mild symptoms. They never went to the hospital. They never had to go to the ICU. They haven't cost the healthcare system a dollar. Um, and yet you're going to charge them as well. And so, I mean, that's just one issue with what what the proposal is. And not to be uh, not to be ugly, but the other the other way to look at it is all right. So if we are talking about different cost inputs for the health system, what about people who are obese, or what about people who have other <laughs> lifestyles uh, that perhaps are not best for their health? It opens up, you know, a very nasty and, and disgusting can of worms. Well, I mean, I play I counts. play men's league hockey um, when allowed, <laughs> um, and that carries risks of injury. I mean, I've seen guys get cut open for stitches and have to go to the hospital, break bones, dislocate shoulders, lose teeth. Like, all of those things are costs incurred. Um, I mean, certainly you could justify... Those having, like, should there be a, a recreation tax? If you engage in recreational activities that increase your risk of being hospitalized or visiting the hospital, do you have to pay a fee for that? Um, what, what sounds like Canada needs a, a good old dose of private insurance well, yeah, <laughs> instead of this whole universe? This whole universal model doesn't seem to be working out there, does yeah, it? Yeah, it does. And I actually, I think you, you may have sparked uh, whom we should invite um, or what topic we should get further into um, for next, next week's uh, program is discussing what that would look like. I think I have some guests in mind. But yeah, this Quebec thing is, is, is very strange. Um, I mean, the Canada Health Act was written in a way to avoid any of this, um, which is both positive and negative. It's supposed to be like it doesn't matter what you do, doesn't matter what your choices are, you, this is the access that you have to the healthcare system, and yeah, I don't know. I mean, it's a bit of a slippery slope. Um, pardon the cliche, um, but at the same time, you could use the same. You could use that reasoning. I mean, I I could go to the extreme of seeing, uh, of seeing very socially conservative people pushing for fees uh, for abortion um, under the same reasoning oh, in terms of costs. I mean, well, I mean, it gets ugly very quick, and it gets ugly very quick. Yeah. So reading one of the reading the um, reading the direct quote. Uh, this is from the. Uh, the Prime Minister of Quebec, François Legault. Uh, so translating here, it's all adults in Quebec who do not agree in the next few weeks to go get at least their first dose are going to have a bill to pay. And the amount is, as far as I understand, has not yet been announced, but they said it's going to be at least over 100 bucks. 
Uh, so they're not in the same territory as here in Austria, where they are. Uh, they just have a vaccine mandate, which again, this is just a. It's just a, a mandate by another word, you know, by using this tax. And the tax thing with healthcare, I just find that so fascinating. It's if we have an American parallel, it's sort of like the Obamacare tax, to where you, if you don't get the insurance, then you need to pay a, a penalty, uh, which you know is like a strange way of the government raising money off of you deciding your own risk. <laughs> uh, but obviously, with with Canada, it's different because you have you know this sort of universal healthcare system run by the provinces. And, you know, we have this universal health care, and you're totally right. And I, I, I sincerely do not understand the, the principles that are supposedly underlying so much of this, because it, it's just so problematic. Look, if we wanted to say that certain people need to pay a bit more into the system, you know, my list is probably 3,000 people long. No, I mean, yeah, and there's... I'm, maybe it's activities. Yeah. Maybe, yeah, who knows what it is. But are we really able to say that, if we take a recent example from the headlines, someone like Novak Djokovic, tennis player, super fit dude, he's about our age, a bit, bit older, <laughs> makes think about our life decisions. <laughs> but <laughs> someone like him, he's more of a, a, a so-called menace to the health system because he's not vaxxed. Uh, compared to anyone else, I find well, yeah, and 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 there there was some um, in a comedic way there was some joking back and forth about this. Um, Andrew Neil, who's a very prominent uh, British uh, broadcaster, and I believe had written something saying that it was time to be to really punish the folks who are not vaccinated and Joe Rogan's response was actually pretty comical and he pointed he 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 made fun of Neil's weight um and obviously his own personal health decisions and whether or not Neil was in a place to actually lecture anybody about health um because it's one of those things where if we accept the argument and the justification and 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 further punishments now it is different because obesity is not something you give to other people um so i'm not naive where i equate the two um but if we are talking about risks and healthcare system well then maybe they are more parallel uh in terms of comparison and this is a thing with this with this tax or fee is that it's not Hey, if you're not vaccinated and you show up to a hospital with COVID and you end up being hospitalized for COVID, which is a whole nother distinction we're probably going to have to get to in the second segment, um, then you have to pay an additional fee because you've engaged, like, you could have prevented this or done more to, to mitigate this. And so we're going to have, we're going to charge you like a surcharge because you're here because of a silly decision you did or didn't make. But to say that they're going to tax everybody, regardless of whether or not they incur any cost for the healthcare system, everyone who's not vaccinated, seems kind of silly to me. And then you have this weird blurred line of, in what other scenario do public health authorities collaborate with the tax agency? I can't actually think of one where they cross over in a way like this, where they would, like, for American listeners, it'd be like the, the IRS knowing whether or not you're vaccinated. 
just seems strange. Um, mm-hmm. Like the CRA, had, other than possibly the submission of non-covered medical expenses, the CRA has no information about your medical history at all. Um, and Revenue Quebec wouldn't either. And so this is a very... Uh, well, it's, it's, a good, it's a good time, David, to introduce the social credit system for that very reason, don't you think? <laughs> Well, I and I'm I'm like I I've been <laughs> I kid no, I kid. I know That's a I know joke. I know but it's like one of those things where it's like I've been on the this is serious train I I was sympathetic to many of the measures that were passed and I kind of find myself getting off the train now and saying yes yeah I mean this is too much too far too late um not not targeted to what we actually need to focus on, which is hospital capacity, which we're going to get to in the second segment. Um, <laughs> if we get to anything else, it's tiresome talking about COVID all the time. But yeah, just another another troubling uh, development out of Quebec, and and I, I don't know whether or not it's even legal. We'll see. Well, let's go to a ray of sunshine from uh, somewhere where we don't have much sunshine, and that's Saskatchewan. But it's now clear, at least in this Omicron wave of the pandemic, that lockdown policies uh, can cause harm in our communities, uh, often with little or or virtually no benefit. They cause economic harm uh, by taking away jobs and and removing uh, family livelihoods. They cause psychological harm by taking away social contact, most particularly uh, for for our youth. And they are an infringement on, on the rights and freedoms that we uh, have come to enjoy and, and, uh, and value as Canadians. And that's why um, they should only be used if absolutely necessary and only if they can clearly be shown that they are being effective and they are working. And we're not seeing that as being the case today. What is it about Saskatchewan that has, like, pretty sharp premiers? <laughs> yeah, yeah, Scott Moe, um, who that, that comment was from. Um, I don't. I mean, it, it's. I think it's just a Canadian political cultural phenomenon, where throughout the 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 middle of the country, or if you're from Ontario, anything in the west, <laughs> they generally have more appreciation for that limited government perspective. But um, yeah, yeah. Anyway, we'll uh, we'll revisit some of this after the break. Uh, we'll be right back. And we're back on Consumer Choice Radio. Um, Yael, we were just talking about Saskatchewan, um, those freedom-loving people out in the uh, the flat province of Canada where the wheat grows. Um, yeah, I mean, it's. I think I'm. I'm. I have to put myself on that uh, on that team right now in regards to the utility of lockdowns because really the whole point is to delay infections to not overwhelm the healthcare system but this isn't our first rodeo we've been here before we know that we have to increase ICU and hospitalization capacity uh, I think in Ontario I don't know what the numbers are in the rest of the country but I think in the last 20 years we've built one net new hospital uh, in Ontario, while spending has gone up by, I don't know, 20, 30, 40 percent. 
Yeah, and how much has population gone up too? Oh, I mean, population has soared by 5 million people. Um, So you have more people being served by the same amount of hospitals um, with limited space and capacity. And it's like, well, wait a second. If, like, the way I frame this is, like, are the the ICU beds in any given community are like a bad 10 car pile up on the highway away from being at capacity in normal times. And so, I mean, we're two years into this. Why aren't, why haven't we figured this out? Why are we not, um, creating field hospitals and expanding things and just better preparing for not having to have a lockdown? Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, and then you have the whole issue of are you in the hospital with COVID or are you in the hospital for COVID, which is something that the province of Ontario now differentiates. And we've talked about this where it's like, oh, you got in a car crash and you have a broken arm and they test you for COVID and it comes back positive. Should you count as a COVID hospitalization? No. Um, if you are there because you're having trouble breathing, and you need monitoring and other assistance, well, then obviously, yes. Um, and there's been some back and forth and some some flack that the government's got for making that distinction, but I think it's an important one. But all in all, it just comes down to capacity, and it just leaves you scratching your head like, I mean, it's been too long for us not to be able to get this right. And, yeah, and at least well, if we look at it, the parallels in the United States, Often what hampers the building of many new hospitals are these certificate of need laws, uh, which essentially are a crony protection for existing hospitals and hospital systems to where if you want to build a hospital, you essentially need to get, you need to prove that there's a need in that community and that it has to be kind of checked off by the other health systems in the area. And uh, who else would not love to be asked permission (laughs) by a potential competitor if they should be allowed or not? Uh, pretty easy, pretty easy on that. Well, you know, you say it's not our first rodeo. It ain't our first party. I agree. Uh, I don't know if you're following what's happening in the UK, but uh, boy, that Boris Johnson, he's uh, he's in trouble for his own lockdown parties. Yeah, yeah. Well, give us the background. I've seen some of the memes, um, and I saw some of the, the murmurs in the British press about MPs having a party or something during lockdown, but... You'll have to walk us through what's actually happened here, or what's allegedly happened. So there have been a lo- there have been a lot of allegations or pictures or things that have come out, and this is surrounding the Conservative Party over there in the UK. And in the very first lockdown, in the very beginning, when no one knew anything, everyone was you know freaked out. It was you know two weeks to uh, flatten the curve. Essentially, the office staff in Boris Johnson's uh, sort of personal cabinet there had parties at Downing Street, so they got together <laughs> in breach of lockdown rules. And I, for some reason, this has come out. I, I don't know exactly how. I, I think it might have been there's a, some type of investigation, or there. Were, I think it was a couple of reporters that had gotten pictures and stuff like that uh, to where these were supposed to be working events, but then they had bottles of booze, and they were partying it up. And, yeah, this is a, just a way... I mean... We're talking about two years later now, <laughs> which I see that as pretty rich. I see this as just a way to, to go against Boris Johnson. And perhaps he, you know, perhaps he deserves it. I, I'm not sure. But, 
you know, they were having a couple of parties. I think Sky News even has a list of like all of the alleged party dates and times and like who was there. And uh, it's, I think the first one was in May 2020. Ooh, uh, this is sort of the big that's one. Where, very early. I mean, that was that's still in the like, do we wipe down our groceries phase? <laughs> it was reported that about 20 staff drank wine and spirits and ate pizza following a COVID-19 press conference that day. Nice. And they partied uh, either in the Downing Street. Downing Street is sort of the, the home of the British prime minister, either in the garden or in inside of the offices. So again, the British are very strange with their scandals and what they selectively cling to and sort of what the tabloids pounce on, if I can use that term. Uh, this seems to have a little bit of sticking power. Uh, you know, look, every single elite politician, whether it's Gavin Newsom, whether it's the mayor of Austin, whether it's Ted Cruz, or everybody has had this kind of thing where, well, maybe not Ted Cruz, but they preach restrictions, you know, on their public time, and they're obviously breaking those rules. Uh, I think I told you the one in Austria. <laughs> this was just recent, though, just a couple months ago, I think back in November, they announce a lockdown. It starts. The next week, they have a huge fundraiser for the state uh, media company, ORF, and the president is there, the prime minister is there, the health minister. They're laughing and clapping along. And meanwhile, you can't have more than three people in your house. And they're singing and clapping and dancing. And we have the gifts to prove it. No, no. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but it's just another instance. And, you know, it, it wasn't enough to tank Gavin Newsom and uh, the recall election in California. It hasn't really been enough, as far as I know, to see any politician resign. Maybe I'm wrong. No. Uh, but we also saw it in San Francisco, London Breed. Very similar. Uh, I haven't seen anybody uh, not resign, wearing masks. I mean, look, Rod Phillips in Ontario lost his his finance minister position. He's still an MPP, but he did get bumped. That was he went to the Caribbean over Christmas um, when we were not well. Oh, how dare he! I mean, yeah. I mean, if your government is bringing in lockdown measures over the holidays, this was not this Christmas. I, I believe it was last Christmas. Or maybe it was, yeah, I don't know. it's all a blur, but um, it's it's hard to justify when you're telling people that they can't see their families for Christmas. It's like, well, yeah, I don't know if that's really going to go over well. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it, it, if you've been on the side of this is all too much and you break the rules, well, I can understand because you're not being inconsistent, but... If you're on the side of, of those who are making the rules and enacting the rules or enforcing the rules and then you break them, it's like, well, what do they really mean if they don't count for you? <laughs> Let's talk about people making the rules, David. <laughs> Let's let we're we're uh we're getting off the COVID train. Oh, please, um, thank you. Right now. We'll we'll come back to it. So let's talk about someone who's making the rules, uh, particularly in the U.S., and this has to do with antitrust, oh and it has to do with your local grocery my, store. My least favorite We're gonna senator in the We're going to go world. in now to—let's let's go to our consumer choice restrictionist um, correspondent, Elizabeth Warren. She's on television, I think on CNBC, talking about how not only do we need to break up innovative tech companies that provide great services and products for us mostly free, let's also go— and break up the grocery yeah. stores. Fail to use 
tool that we have failed to use for decades now has been the antitrust laws so that we get more and more concentration. Think of the example right now, for example, with grocery stores. Remember how many grocery stores there used to be? And now what you've got is a handful of giant chains. And then what happens? Uh, Kroger, uh, their profits just in the third quarter of 2021 were almost $900 million. That was more than three times what their profits were in the same time period in 2019. Now, if they are able to expand profits, not expand prices, expand profits, that's because they have a lot of market dominance here. If we move in on antitrust law, break up these giant corporations, then we get real competition and then we get markets <laughs> that are truly competitive that's good for small businesses, it's good for consumers, and it actually, in many cases, reduces the need for regulatory oversight. You can count on the markets doing what they need to do. Now, that's exactly the point, Elizabeth Warren, but we don't need the government to go in and break anything up. It's already doing it. It's already doing it. Step off the yes. gas. Yeah, I mean, and this is the thing is, is it, there are, I mean, Larry Summers, um, who was an economist with the, with the Obama administration, has straight up said, no, this antitrust crusade is not going to, um, to provide the solutions that they think they are, that are going to. And he's gone so far as to say, if you, if you care about prices and inflation, embrace free trade. Roll, roll back the bureaucratic state and the regular, silly regulatory burdens that prevent things from getting to market. I mean, one of the simple ones is be like the Jones Act. We've talked about that before. Um, and, and, and get the economy moving again, not going after Kroger for their profit margin of 1.05%. I mean, to put... I even I had this as a thought experiment today. We we thought about let's let's take an example of, you know, Meta, Facebook. Like, okay, there's Meta and it has Instagram, it has WhatsApp, it has Oculus, it has Facebook, Instagram, all this kind of stuff. Okay, you break it up. Okay, what happens then? Okay, well then Instagram is its own thing and you need to sign up. And then WhatsApp is its own what does it realistically change for people who aren't paying anyway? Like none. And on the grocery store example, well, Kroger, you know, whatever. I never really went to Kroger. We didn't have that growing up in North Carolina. But let's say, yeah, they got a bunch of Kroger stores. Uh, that just means that their distribution is pretty efficient and easy. And uh, <laughs> they're able to do things a lot better. And that's why they can offer lower prices. I mean, there's plenty of competition for grocery stores out there. You can go and find your, you know, super expensive vegan meal. You can, there's all kinds of stores. There's all kinds of competition I don't know what she's talking about. Perhaps it's just in her background, or her her backyard in Massachusetts, that she doesn't have enough. But it just seems like a very terrible crusade. And any conservative senator who is going to be supporting this, you should know that you will be supporting Elizabeth Warren and uh, you know her her war against the grocery stores well, as well. Yeah, and and to put it this way, for the grocery stores. Um... So one of the more useful figures I've seen to look at like corporate profitability, especially in retail, is uh, how many days in a month do they have to stay in operation? So let's say there's 30 days in a month. 
How many days in that month does... Yeah, so how many days are they in the red? Like, at what point do they make their profit? Is it on day 10, 15? Is it on day 29? Um, So for like a Starbucks... These numbers are approximate. I don't have them in front of me. So I think for a Starbucks, profitability happens on like day 18 or something like that of a month of 30. But for your normal grocery store, your Walmart, things like that... I think it's like day 28 and a half. So if you were to unexpectedly shut down your local Kroger for one and a half days a month, that location would likely go bankrupt. And so, no. And the whole thing that she mixes it up and she's playing with our minds because she says they have this much profit, which is not true. She's talking about revenue. So they have all these millions of dollars in revenue but then you got to add in the expenses to buy the food, to pay the people, to get the trucks on the road, to pay for the, the gas, to pay for the electricity, to keep the stuff up. And then at the very end, it's chump change. And for many grocery stores, they, they cannot stomach that. And you know the only way that these other chains are able to even do so is because they are integrating or they have different stores and they're able to share the infrastructure. I mean, it's the same thing when I worked at you know, Home Depot, I worked at these, you know, home improvement stores that I know we have all over North America. It's much the same thing. You have your mom and pop, you know, hardware stores and, you know, in big cities, you, you have them as well. But the larger chains have become very efficient. They're able to move products around. They're able to, to actually figure out the logistics and they thrive because of that. And they deliver for consumers. And I, that's the whole, these are the people missing consumers who love it. And uh, we'll have... More on that topic and much more here on Consumer Choice Radio. And we're back here on Consumer Choice Radio. Talk a little bit about antitrust and uh, Elizabeth Warren there in the last segment. Man, she really wants to go after the grocery stores. I say hands off our grocery stores, David, because uh, we've had too much. We, we just have too much discussion in general policy circles about what the what power we should give to the government so that they can control more of our lives it's that's not even thinking about the pandemic it's just the general thread i i think we have to actually call much of this for what it is and it it is power grabs it's a mentality of centralization that most people do not hold most people do not think that your local government can be more efficient in delivering you groceries it's just just not yeah. Just get yeah, out of here with that. Yeah, I mean... She, Just go it, home. Take your ball and go home. Yeah. <laughs> Leave us alone, okay? Thanks, bud. Um, it's yeah, it's one of those things where it, it is... I think if you start to peel back the the reason... Like, the why this is happening, this is a pretty, like, coordinated campaign of finger-pointing, right? Nobody wants to talk about debt. Nobody wants to talk about monetary policy and how that's impacting inflation we want to point our fingers at the big bad company because they've made some money even though there isn't there isn't any data to suggest to support our narrative it's a useful distraction away from the fact that monetary policy may be actually driving inflation which hit something like seven percent and i know the fed's now increasing rates as a prediction of four rate increases over the course of a year or something like that. I mean, so it's like the chickens are coming home to roost. 
um, and rather than admit defeat or admit fault, let's uh, let's let's try and pin this on somebody else. Yeah, and the whole idea of why prices are going up or why we have inflation, it, it's always a very useful exercise to actually go back and and do some of the research and look back at the academic literature and kind of understand this. So I actually found a very cool infographic mm-hmm. and a small article that was put together by Sophie. So Sophie is a bank. Uh, they actually offer a lot of cool, innovative products. Uh, not a sponsor, but uh, I do use their services. I think it's really interesting. Uh, but they had a whole <laughs> little, no free ads, not at all. No free ads. Uh, but hit no that boost ads. button on that podcasting 2.0 app. <laughs> so they have a, an article, um, seven factors that cause inflation. And I thought, okay, this is interesting. Number one, the economy is going strong. Okay, so that's good. Healthy inflation, small level, 2%. Number two, there is more currency available. Inflation can also occur when the Fed or another central bank adds fiat currency into circulation at a rate that exceeds that of the economy's growth rate. Okay, we're there. Number three, uh, increase in price for basic materials. Yes. Number four, housing market takes off. Yes. Number five, government implements expansionary fiscal policies. Triple yes. Number six, new regulations increase costs. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> uh, number seven is the exchange rate changes. Of course, uh, U.S. dollar going down. Uh, so I thought that was a, a very fitting exercise because, uh, you know, Elizabeth Warren and many of her media appearances is saying, well, the reason is because these greedy companies, corporations are just raising costs. That's why we have inflation. Come on. Yeah. It, I mean, I, all it is, is is just finger pointing. It's like, oh, don't talk about... Don't talk about what we might have done uh, to create this problem. Let's let's pin it on somebody else. And I, I mean, is anybody really falling for it? Like, I I don't think so. Um, plenty of people. I mean, inflation so? is a hard idea to to explain to people. They're like, yeah. well, what do you mean prices go up? Prices, it's it's about the same, isn't it? It's like the value of your currency is going down. It's like, well, no, it's not. <laughs> Compared to what? And that's a whole other thing. And and you know, knowing that, you know, all of our wages have not increased by that much. Uh, yeah, it's going to come to a breaking point. And um, not to say that it's going to be something like Turkey, where the lira, which is their currency, has just been plunging like crazy the last year. Uh, a lot of the, the local Turks are buying up cryptocurrency. Apparently, it's about $1.8 billion a day just in Turkey alone. Uh, which is actually incredibly crazy. <laughs> but uh, to see that people are looking to alternatives like cryptocurrencies, like Bitcoin. And since September, the lira has lost 40% of its value against the US dollar. Yep. Wow. Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it would be like to really actually like overnight see your purchasing power diminish. Where it's like, oh yeah, a price of the like a loaf of bread is three bucks now, and it's three fifty tomorrow, and three seventy five the next day, and four twenty five the day after that, and you're like, wait a second, I'm not making any more money here. <laughs> What's going on? Um, our colleague Bill has kind of seen this firsthand because he's he's had uh, days where we've chatted with him in Turkey. Where where he's actually experienced that now, when you have a foreign currency, 
it's not so bad <laughs> because you can leverage that and you have more purchasing power. But for the folks who are in Turkey getting paid in their currency, it's it's a tough, tough slog for them. And, you know, this ain't too far off. We had 7% inflation in the U.S. for the month of December. Yeah, I mean, that's an end. That's crazy. That's like crazy, crazy inflation. <laughs> No, that's that that's pretty bad. And I saw similar numbers across the European Union. You know, in some areas it was a bit more with energy uh, and groceries, but seven percent. And again, what does that mean? It's seven. Everything's seven percent more expensive. <laughs> and as far as I know, you're not getting automatic raises from your job that are seven percent, guys. So you're gonna yeah. have less. <laughs> Good in luck. Your go- gro- <laughs> <laughs> Good luck going to your boss and the. <laughs> The, the second week of January, but like, hey, I need a 7% raise this month. <laughs> yeah, I got to adjust for inflation there, boss. I mean, you're going to have less in your grocery store shopping cart, and uh, you'll probably have less grocery stores to go to thanks to Elizabeth Warren, so uh, I just, just perfect. <laughs> well, I'll just have to go to the soup kitchen. We'll have to go to the food bank, yeah. you know, run by Congress, Inc., and, uh, you know, <laughs> have a good time on there. I'm I I this is one thing that really does terrify me because it means that you know you you work a hard week or a hard month you save money you put it away basically you're going to have to work more to meet that same amount the next month like how is that supposed to provide stability to raising a family or to like enjoying life oh i know it's <laughs> the only thing to do is spend money so then we just have none yep yeah, yeah, it's, or you see, I mean, nah, I don't know, it's not great, it's, it's a lot of negative, this is a very pessimistic episode. <laughs> oh. Hey, no, 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 we're look, we're looking up, we're looking up, there's a lot of stuff related to nuclear power, actually, that I yes. wanted to get into. Yes. Uh, there's a new poll uh, that has come out, uh, just about American support, at least, for nuclear power, nuclear energy and uh, we see that actually the, the support has gone uh, specifically from 49% to 59% uh, between 2018 and 2021. So we're over 50. It's about two times and, more uh, popular than Joe Biden. There you go. <laughs> and among Democrats specifically, who tend to be the most uh, pessimistic and negative, it's gone from 37 to 60%. Yeah, I mean, that's fantastic. Let's do more so of it's that. over 60% on all categories and uh, about 59% overall. Uh, looks like it's pretty good, but, you know, there are still a lot of critics. I mean, it's it's Germany's shutting down all their nuclear facilities. Austria has always banned nuclear power. Uh, in the U.S., every time you mention nuclear power when it comes to environmentalism or climate change, you, you kind of get thrown out of the room. Uh, but this is, a, this is a big change. You know, I don't... I mean, yeah, but the far, the formula for the U.S. is simple. Don't build it on a fault line. Don't build it on the San Andreas. Don't build it in Tornado Alley. Make sure that you can secure it, um, like, security-wise, like, militarily guarded, etc., and then build it. Then those are the three criteria, and that's it. And even Elon Musk the other day was like, yeah, so long as it's not, like, in some area which is prone to earthquakes, nuclear energy is good. Yeah. It's like, guys, let's just do it. Just do it. And I mean, if you, I, th- I think the comparison between Germany and France 
was hilarious. So Germany uh, re- or it got rid of nuclear. France has increased. And France's emissions have decreased while Germany's emissions have increased in whatever the time period they were referencing. And so by focusing on low emission energy in combination with renewable rather than just renewable, France has actually done a better job uh, in terms of their environmental protection than Germany has. And it's like, well, guys, let's let's get on this train. This should be fairly simple. The French have figured it out. Let's get everybody else doing it. And the French don't fi- I mean, the they don't, the French don't figure much out, so you got to give them credit. Yeah, the French government is not very good at figuring, at finding solutions to major problems, but they seem to have figured this one out. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it's it's a no-brainer uh, for me. It w- would be one of the things, if I was in politics, uh, would be one of the, the, the causes that I champion um, just by virtue of you have clean, low emission, and consistent energy um, at all times, which, I mean, in the Canadian context actually matters quite a bit. I mean, you had, like, record low temperatures in Alberta a few weeks ago at, like, minus 35, minus 40. It's like, yeah, you need energy stability in that instance. Um, Right now it's fossil fuels, but it could be nuclear. It doesn't have to be fossil fuels. But you have to have some stability there when you get those temperatures where... I mean, if the power goes out, the clock starts tick tick in regards to how much exposure you can have to that temperature. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, it seems like a no-brainer to me, but it's one of the blind, many blind spots of the folks who are on that kind of environmental left side of the debate. And just to to piss them off a little bit more, sorry guys, um, I'll be uh, David next week. I'll have my Bitcoin miner all set up. So I'll be draining. Ooh, nice. I'll be draining energy from the core to create money. Yes, and heat nice. and heat. So there you go. I'm I'm a, be able to turn energy into heat pretty quickly, and then get some Bitcoin in the wallet as well. How do I buy into this? Uh, well, we are accepting inve- uh, investors here at Yael um, Incorporated. So I'll let you know. Oh, okay. But nice. uh, yeah, we're just going to do a couple tests first because you never know what can happen. You never know if it'll actually work. I don't know if my setup is going to work. Uh, you got to be sure you have your electricity stuff, you know, in order. You got to test all the machines. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do, but it's it's exciting. It's uh, it's exciting because it's uh, you know kind of a, a new venture, new economy, and I'm just a, a dude in my apartment uh, who's putting that together. I'm I'm going up against a lot of uh, these big mining companies, and uh, you know what? The government should just break them up, give all the miners to me. And uh, everything's settled if we just take a, a page out of the book, Elizabeth yeah, Warren. Put, put me down for a hundred preferred. Uh, put me down for a hundred preferred shares of Yael Inc. There you go. Well, we'll see what we can do. We'll bring it up with the board. Uh, yeah, there's going to be a lot that's going to be happening in the next couple of weeks in January. Um, I hope you guys are, are having a good time here. Second week of January in the year 2022. Just so you guys know, we are both at the Consumer Choice Center. Consumer choice uh, is sort of our mantra. We're a consumer advocacy group, have been for many years. Uh, We work on all of these issues in putting out articles, in doing media appearances, testimony, uh, different studies. Uh, David was testifying all up and down the U.S. and Canada last year. Uh, We're we're back in a full force this year, David, so I'm, I'm excited for all the great projects to come. And I know we'll have more updates for the listeners 
coming up uh, in the in the next few while. But but overall, I'm excited. I I know we we've been a bit pessimistic this episode, but it's you know we were in our own relative isolations and just had to come together and uh, you know just sh- just share a, a small little secret. That's what we had to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, there's lots to gripe about, but it it has been another great another great show. Um, we hope to have some uh, some great guests lined up for the rest of 2022. If you have any suggestions for that, please send them our way. And as always, thank you for tuning in and listening. Um, we we do appreciate it. It's a strange world out there. It's a strange world out there. It's a strange world out there. It's a strange world out there.